0: Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And today, you guys are in for a treat. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know I say that. But if I'm lying to you, then let me know. Every time we have someone on, they're pretty good. Today, I'm excited to have Jen Kenning on. And we're going to have a very great conversation around impact investing and a few other things that we're going to talk about. But I'm excited to have her on. Welcome to the show, Jen.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So Jen and I were talking a little bit before we were recording and just the passion that comes across with the work that you're doing. I absolutely loved it. And I was like, man, I should have started recording sooner. But if you can share with the listeners that don't know who you are or may not be familiar with you, could you tell them a little bit about who Jen is?
1: I started my career in wealth management almost two decades ago, but I would really say it really began 2008, 2009, when I started to really look at the systems in the U.S. and how they were broken. When I started working with the homeless population in Los Angeles and started to see that we really needed systems change and that finance could really be a driver of that. Fast forward to 2013, I ended up going to my second or third continent, if you exclude North America, and went to Africa and looked at 12 social enterprises And I just didn't come back the same person. I really felt that business could be a driver for people to really kind of chase their own passions, create wealth for themselves, create jobs for their communities, and really could be a catalyst for change. And so I left my first career, as I say, and I started Align Impact, where we invest capital to drive change so that the world works for 7.8 billion people and not at the expense of the planet. And we're deeply passionate about that because we believe that investing is one of the greatest tools that we have. And if we can actually level the playing field, we can get everyone to be part of the
0: solution. I love it. You heard that right there really quick. Like, this is why she's on the show. We're going to jump into that. I think the passion comes across. And just talking before we got on, like being able to travel to different continents and see the impact of poverty, right? It's one thing to see it on TV, right? But you've actually been places there, and this isn't a question that's on the thing, but how did that impact the direction? Because you, you know, you changed a lot of things after your trip. So talk about that a little bit, please.
1: Yeah, I felt like the first 13 years of my career really prepared me for the second career, that I was in a unique position to be able to see the invisible. And to really see solutions, my grandmother used to say when I was five that I would notice people that no one would notice and that I definitely had a heart for humanity. And so I really wanted to use what I like to refer to as my genius quadrant, like the things that are my value adds to society. And I wanted to use those every day. And I wanted to be able to expand kind of the tools that we use in finance and investing and reach a broader group of people. I also feel that we have focused on giving people handouts in some cases when we use charitable dollars to really try to fix global problems. When in reality, most people, I could tell you in my travels and my work over the last decade, 99% of people are not looking for a handout. They're actually looking for a handout. They're looking for a mentor. They're looking to be inspired. They're looking for their own path. They're looking for who's going like to show me that path. And How do I actually come up with what I'm passionate about and what inspires me? And then ultimately, what are my goals for myself, my family, my community? And what role do I play in society? And I think, you know, especially in light of the last nine months, we all have a unique role to play and we're all so interconnected when we can't keep operating in silos, really. We're going to need to work together from a multi-stakeholder approach to really drive the change we want to see.
0: I think if one, you know, not one good thing, I mean, there's a few good things with COVID, but one of the good things is that I think if people ever had the idea that the world was really, really big and not connected, we see that that's not the case, right? Something happens all the way across the world. Not, you know, people say halfway across the world, that's all the way on the other side of the world. And we have COVID start over in China and now, you know, it's where it's at now and everyone in the world has been impacted by it very, very quickly. And so when you think about that, as we're getting ready to get into these questions, I'll frame it this way. Like we have our global community trying to figure out a way to cure this disease. I know we hear all the headlines here in the United States, but it's not like these other countries are doing the exact same thing, right? And sharing secrets and stuff like that. And if we would take that same approach, right, and take that into investing, I think that's kind of what you're getting to, right? Like if we take that same approach of trying to fix the problem with a global effort, it would... Be a lot easier to fix, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the reality is, people that have been drastically affected by COVID, more predominantly people of color, at least in the United States, they also lack certain healthcare systems and access and education and financial resources. So these things are all intertwined, right? People often ask me, what do you mean by the world working for everyone? And I like to use really three points because I think they really drive home even in light of COVID. And I think COVID is just a precursor to climate. And I also think the world we live in today, we're going to see more pandemics, right? It's not going to be once in a hundred years, unfortunately, right? And I also think people, technology, the advancement of science and health, we have huge power to eradicate certain things. But if you think about the world working for everyone, I think it comes down really to three things. Housing, housing is a big equalizer, right? It really does correlate to better health outcomes, more financial stability, safety. You can look at academic achievement and cognitive development amongst kids. It is one of the great places where if we invested in more affordable housing and workforce housing in the US and really gave people that stability, they would be able to go and be their best self and thrive. Education, another great thing. We're seeing it now on play, right, through COVID. Everyone's impacted, right? All of education's gone pretty much to virtual in some capacity. The quality of our education system is a driver of income, right? People that have access to better education are found to have a 10% increase in income per year over their life. That drastically affects. And to my third point, how do we close the wealth and income gap in this country, right? People of color are more likely to earn less and they have a bigger mountain to climb, right? So how do we get the medium range of where everyone is equal or in some sense, same playing field? And we don't have these kind of really wide gaps. I mean, the numbers are staggering, you know, if we got into the data. And so you think about those three systems in itself, that's a huge opportunity for us over the next decade.
0: I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, I think housing, when I think about friends growing up and I think about just personal situations, like, you know, having a home in the family that the house that they own is a completely different thing than going from, you know, living in a place for a little while, renting a place and then moving from house to house. It just the stability like you're talking about. I didn't even think about the cognitive development of the security of being in one place forever. Like, I think that also brings up some attachment things that where people don't want to get rid of that house that they've had as the first house because it's so attaching. Those are some very interesting points that you're making and and putting them all together like that. I love that. You said there's multiple levers that we can pull to work and move the needle. Are we activating all of them or how could we?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think some people are activating as much as they see that they can, but I'd like to bring it back to everyone can really activate levers and drive the change we want to see. It really starts with what we consume and what we support in our consumption decisions, right? Do we support small and medium-sized local businesses or do we support big corporations? Do we support people of color, businesses, as much as we support the people that we're comfortable with. Where do we bank? What are our banks lending to? Are they lending back into the community? Are we banking locally? Banks were designed to be the community lender, to be that bridge, to foster that kind of the community feel. We've lost that in some sense over the last few decades with technology, right? And we're in, people move from community to community. What are we investing in? Some people often say, well, I don't have a huge investment portfolio. And I like to remind them, you might have a bank account, a savings account. You might also have a 401k with your company or some kind of retirement vehicle. Look to see what kind of companies are you supporting with your investment dollars? Do they represent your values and what you care about and what you're really trying to drive towards? And then what do you give to, right? Where are your philanthropic, your volunteer hours. And then not last, but certainly not least, your network, right? The power of the social network is huge, right? Universities that you go to, programs that you're in, your community again, as well as like, are you mentoring someone from the next generation? Are you sitting on boards and driving change in the local community? You have a lot of different levers. And I often just say, choose one that you're going to dig into, like what you're consuming at the grocery store. And see what the company represents and see, do I actually have another alternative that you could make that actually might be a better representation of what you're ultimately committed to in the long run?
0: I think the almost grassroots efforts of what you're talking about is going out like, are you eating at the local restaurants? You know, the pandemic has hit and, you know, the local restaurant owners are going to be hit a little harder than, you know, maybe your franchise places. Where are you banking at? Are you banking in some other town? You know, did you vote when you had a chance to vote? You know, do you know the local government officials that are in your town? Are you in their ear? Are you talking to them about the things that you want to see? And I think all of those things are definitely things that should be brought into light because you can impact your community a lot faster than you can impact the nation by decisions that you make with people that you align yourself with. So,
1: And no matter where we go from a political slash civic society, this is in our control right? We have control to where we invest, where we bank, where we consume. And our consumption dollars drive revenue and they ultimately drive net profits at companies.
0: And so I think sometimes people underestimate the power of that. Like when you look at the economic purchasing power of a group of people, and that really puts it in perspective and you see why, I mean, you really can get a look at it when you just look at the marketing, right? Look at the marketing the company's doing. Like Nike does a tremendous job in their marketing. Like They do just a great job. Geico does a great job. There's just certain companies that do that. And I think those impacts can be made similarly in your community by representing organizations locally, by helping those local restaurants, by, you know, almost advertising for those companies. And then I, I want to hear your thoughts about using capitalism as a tool. So talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, I think oftentimes depending on what conversation you're in, people can look at capitalism as a negative, right? It builds a bigger divide. When in reality, capitalism could be a great tool for rebuilding, for systems change, for, excuse me, what does the world look like in 10 and 20 years, right? I look at it, we're moving from a shareholder capitalism model where we're driving value for the shareholders to a stakeholder capitalism model. Right. What does that look like? That looks like we're looking at the employees, oftentimes the biggest asset of any company, the supply chain, our vendors, our beneficiaries, the demographic we're trying to reach with our products and services, and then our shareholders, right? And let's not do it at the expense of the planet, right? We have a finite amount of resources. And so we really need to start looking at this from a multi-stakeholder capitalist approach. It's interesting. I read a couple of weeks ago. In Bloomberg, economist Dana Peterson, she began to quantify in May what the true cost of racism in the US economy has been over the last two decades. And she found that if we actually closed the racial gaps, we would have added 16 trillion dollars to the country's economic output over the last 20 years. And people are that engine, right? Our essential workers contribute an enormous amount back to society. And so we need to look at it from a we versus a me perspective. And then how do we really value everyone in the system uniquely for their value? And then ultimately, we all win because we'll drive more growth, right? It's not a finite amount of a pie. The pie will get bigger. We will all be able to share. I often say when people look at capitalism as a negative, that we have an abundance of resources. We just don't allocate them accordingly. And so I think we can use a different approach in the next 20 years that really can set our kids and our grandkids up for the future that we want to see for them.
0: We're using capitalism in its purest sense without the other things that are messing up, what could be a good lever to bring the change that we want to see. One thing that you said that we didn't touch on is at the expense of the planet. We talked about the other things, but we didn't talk about that. So I want to, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, climate change is real. Some people want to continue to deny it. It's getting harder and harder. I think even if you want to deny the science, look at the fires that we're having across the U.S. and the globe, where it's the hottest on record. We have more hurricanes than ever before. We're seeing floods. It's really hard, similar to the pandemic. No one really can escape it. It's not like you can say, "I have enough money, I'm going to, you know fly over here, and I'm going to be excluded from what we're headed towards, right? And I'm an eternal optimist, right, I believe that we have the power, but we're behind, right? We exited the Paris Accord yesterday, and hopefully we'll be back in at some point, right? But what we do now affects us 10 years from now. So we need to be investing more. We need to be looking for solutions around climate. People often look at climate and say, it's too big. What am I going to do as one person? But the reality is we do have you know, options as individuals, right? How much meat we consume. Water, how much are we flying around, right? That's been drastically curbed since COVID started. And I saw a stat the other day that's, you know, that we've only curbed emissions by 15%, and we've all been locked in our homes pretty much for the past nine to 10 months. So it's not enough of a drastic shift. So I do think when we're making decisions, especially investment decisions, we need to look at how does this impact the environment? Because it's ultimately going to impact future generations. Time is of the essence and it really is of almost getting to not an emergency, but we need to act now.
0: I would say that. I think the pandemic helps that. I think the pandemic helps people bring things into perspective how what's going on in one part of the world is going to affect the other parts of the world. And that's why it's called global warming. It's not just, you know, United States warming or Asia warming or anything like that.
1: Yeah, and actually, I want to make one more point is that most people say I'm an environmentalist or I'm a socialist, when in reality, again, to our opening comments, we need to be interconnected because the environment impacts socially, right? There is climate injustice in certain communities. They have more pollution, therefore, they don't have as good of air quality. They have more lung and health issues, which means they have to spend more on proper health care. They live potentially in food deserts because they're having a drought, and so they can't get access to good fruits and vegetables, which then impacts their health system. These things are connected and are so interdependent. And so I'd love to challenge the listeners, start to think of yourself as both a socialist in a good way and an environmentalist, right? We're here for the people, and we're going to do it and protect the planet that we live on.
0: If you say things, I think sometimes words just get taken totally out of context, like the whole liberal and conservative thing. Like you can say that or you can't say social, you know, you're just a socialist. And you're like, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, what I mean? like yeah. Yeah, just can to say that. So, I mean, I totally get you. And I think it is time for people to open their eyes and open their horizons, like and think about things in a more global and holistic way, even down to the things like you think about it this way, look at it at a personal level, right? I think here, if we take our healthcare system, we do a good job of treating symptoms, but we don't talk about the cause, right? So, if you've been eating, you know, salty food for some time, and you begin to develop high sodium food—let's not say salty—high sodium food, and you begin to develop high blood pressure, and you continue to eat the foods and just take the medication, you're really not treating the cause; you're just treating the symptoms. So, I mean, I think that's the same thing that we have to look at with looking at the planet globally and how we can. Help treat the cause and not the symptom.
1: Yeah, we gotta be proactive versus reactive. Right. We tend to be let's go in and clean it up versus what if we just prevented it in the first place? We would actually save billions and trillions of dollars if we were actually proactive.
0: So tell me how impact investing can help this. Like put the connected dots for people, because we're talking about impact and you know, we're gonna get there, but impact investing. We talked about the global community. We've talked about protecting the planet and how decisions can impact other people. And we've talked about inequalities from the pay gap to housing to, you know, we've talked about a lot of things. Why is impact investing a tool that we can use to help?
1: Yeah, and impact investing, so a couple of things. One is it's investing for a financial return as well as for a social and or environmental return. So we're not just looking to get a return on our money, we're looking to get some type of return on our money plus a quantifiable return back to society, right? How much CO2 emissions are reduced? How much additional income does that family have because their rent is more in line with their income, right? And what do they use that discretionary income for in order to further their family's well-being? And so impact investing is taking investing to the next level. I like to say it's going underneath the hood. We're not just looking for good companies, but we're looking for good companies that we can generate a return from and that are going to be generating returns back to society. I also think that everyone is actually an impact investor because every investment you make has either a positive or negative return. It's just often people don't actually look to say, what is that positive or negative return?
0: I like the way you put that. What are some of the myths about impact investing?
1: One last thing on impact investing before I go into myths, just because I also think it's deeply personal to each person. So it could be deeply personal to you and your wife could have a different viewpoint, but collectively you might come together as a solid viewpoint, right? So impact investing is personal and everyone needs to ask themselves, what do I want to move the needle on in the world and why? And then look to see how can I do that? Some of the myths around it is that you're going to have to sacrifice performance or returns. And if you look at 10 years of data, you actually can see that that's actually not the case. There's not enough product out there or solutions. There's actually too many at this point, right? Because we've now been building it over the last decade. There's plenty of opportunities to invest in ESG, manager strategies, to great companies, to different municipalities that are focused on charter schools or rebuilding a school that hasn't been rebuilt in 40 years to have a better HVAC system, water system, and better windows that keeps the heat in. So you can start to see that these are real benefits, right? A lot of people believe this is just for wealthy people or governments or pension funds. But the reality, as I said just a minute ago, everyone can be an impact investor because every investment has impact And then last but not least, you know, we used to look at it as I'll make a lot of money in like the first half or throughout my life, and then I'll start to give away money or give it back or take care of my kids in a different way. And the reality is we really shouldn't look at them as two different buckets, right? Because we have philanthropic capital and we have investment capital, and we want to use all forms of capital to really drive the change we want to see. So this isn't just for the wealthy. Do you see this with Certain Gen Zers that are out to really get us to focus on the climate and gun control and different initiatives. So, you're seeing this across all the different generations. It's just we look at it from a different lens or different viewpoint. So, those are some of the myths. Returns, products, it's just for the wealthy, or I need to bifurcate things into buckets when we've already spent a lot of this podcast talking about let's break down the silos, let's break down the buckets, let's be interconnected.
0: So when we're talking impact investing, and I know, you know listeners are saying, okay, so what does that mean? Where can I go do this? Some of the listeners are do-it-yourselfer. Some of them aren't working with advisors. And, and if it's a do-it-yourselfer, we're not making recommendation. We're just saying where well, you could go to find some things. But where would you go to find something like this?
1: You could start with your existing investments. Just pick a company, put that company in Yahoo Finance or Google. Start to look at what that company is starting to stand for. A really great place to look is what's on the first page of their website. You'd be surprised with how many people have pictures of things that probably don't represent your values. They may not be inclusive. They may be focused on oil and gas, certain things that you're trying to steer away from. The other way is MSCI has a lot of great free information. You can put any mutual fund in the MSCI free database. And you can see what the score is for that manager strategy around an E environmental and S social and G governance. So those are just some easy ways of using free tools to be able to look to see kind of what you own, what it's contributing to. Another great way is the Rainforest Action Network put out a study on banks and it's got all the major banks and you can actually look to see kind of what is your bank lending to and how are they supporting or not supporting the community. And how are they looking at climate, as an example? Are they funding private prisons? Are they funding small and medium-sized enterprises, et cetera? So lots of different resources. I'm also happy to give you guys some tools at the end, or I can give you places you can go on the Align website to get other tools. We have nine action items around climate, nine action items around social and racial justice in this country. So there's lots of free stuff out there.
0: Awesome. We'll put links to all of that in the show notes. If you give me those things after the show, we'll make sure we put those in there, those resources. This is so awesome because what happens is, and I'm just talking real life, you know, I have regular friends, like, so we're just hanging out and we'll talk about things that are important to us. You know, we've had a lot of social issues going on now. So we're having conversations, you know, and all of my friends, most of them, they might not think of themselves as investors, but if they have 401ks or if they have, which most people have some type of retirement account, that's usually the first place that you do investing. And if you really just take some time to look at this, open enrollment is going on, you know, usually companies have that at the end of the year, and you can change the investments that you have inside your 401k at any time. But, you know, being able to have your investments align with your values is such an important thing. And it's not something that we even know that we have an option to. If you're hearing this, check your investments out because I know you probably are investing money somewhere. I know you probably have your company 401k. When you peel back the layers of the onion of the companies that you're investing in, you would be disappointed in yourself for allowing yourself to support a company that is in direct conflict with things that you value. And that's something that I think we want to take a little ownership in. And that's something that you have to do on your own. So I challenge, you know, anyone that's hearing this, to check where your investments are. It's not as hard as you think it is.
1: Yeah. I also like to say, start with where does your money sleep at night? Start with your bank. That's actually a really great place. And it's often easy just
0: to look at that. I did that and I'm changing banks. (laughs) Just happened. We're actually, I have an appointment next week to open up all new accounts at a different bank because I did just what you're saying. It was just crazy. So. One of the things that you talk about is leveling the playing field so that women and people of color are meaningful. So talk to us about the being a meaningful part of the equation. Talk about it. And then I'll give you my thoughts after you say what you say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we have to look at it as really, we have to start empowering people not only to have opportunities for income generation. So living wage is a great starting place, but let's really get them to be paid equally to anyone that's doing their job whether it's on gender race or anything else. The other thing is is that we don't fund women and people of color the way that we fund white males. And that's not a misnomer, right? The funding is very scarce. If you get that funding, oftentimes you're getting it at a higher rate with less favorable terms and so you're in an uphill battle. If people are going to build wealth in this country, They are going to need to be owners of assets or owners of businesses or be fairly compensated so that they can save or own real estate and have a stable home environment. And so all of these things really do impact people creating real wealth. And when you think about leveling the playing field, we need to make sure that people have the opportunity to really save and create wealth so that they do have the ability to retire at 65 or 70. They do have the ability to take care of an ailing parent or a child or send their children to a vocational school or community college or a four-year university, and it doesn't put them you know, behind the game. And so I really look at it from generating assets
0: that can then help to supply you with a future income. I think it's so important, like when I think about the wage gap, right, the impacts of the wage gap, you start your first job and you're paid $10,000 less than same exact person with the same qualifications, except for they were white and you were a person of color. So $10,000 is there, right? You work, you do all your job stuff. And now you're $10,000 underpaid. You go get that next job promotion or next job. Maybe you leave that firm, go work somewhere else. That's probably more likely what you would do you go there, you're still $10,000 behind where you normally should have been paid if you were somewhere else. But now you go to another job. And now you're not only $10,000 behind this other job, you're probably about you know $15,000 behind where you should get paid at this job. You don't know it because you've never negotiated. You're just happy to get your picket punch and have a job because you're the first one in your family to have a good job. I'm really painting the picture here, right? So now you've worked at that job for five years, making $10,000 less, that's $50,000. Now we go work at the other job. We work, you know, 10 years and we're making, you know, $15,000 left. That's $150,000. That's $200,000. That's not including any interest or anything.
1: Right. Yeah. We're not looking at the compounding effect of it. The compounding effect is huge, right? And so the compounding effect for listeners is your money is compounding every year that you're keeping it invested. And so if you don't have the opportunity to do that, you can't actually get that kind of benefit over a long period of time, it has a really meaningful impact.
0: And I think sometimes we don't think about that. We're really good at thinking at the here and now and not, I mean, the whole reason why we're having this conversation about, you know, impact investing and the global stuff that's going on is because we're so nearsighted. Yeah. And we only see now, the immediacy of now, the instant gratification, and those things can become a problem. You know, like, I've heard it often referred to as the microwave generation. There was a generation that did not have microwaves, where they had to actually reheat food and stuff. Like that seems crazy, right? But maybe that wasn't bad. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't bad taking time. Maybe it wasn't bad that things took time because you had to take more time to create these things. Dinner was cooked and it was an event. It wasn't like you could go get you know something fast. You had to sit down with the family and do those kind of things. And I think when it comes to investing and when it comes to, the impact that we're trying to make in people's lives, like it's going to take a little time and that's okay. But we have to make sure that we're spending our time doing the activities that are going to make the change.
1: I always say to people, if you're going to do one thing in your 20s, 30s, or even start in your 40s or 50s, it's put some money into your retirement plan, pre-tax, let it grow. There are ways to get access to it if you needed it for an emergency. And that has a really, really profound effect over multiple decades.
0: This is true. This is awesome. Jen, as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we're changing the complexion of wealth. So what motivates you to continue to grow and learn? Like, what's your motivation?
1: People. I think people are the biggest asset we have on this planet. And the collective power of people is really what inspires me. And I think we as a society and we are a global community get to continue to learn, evolve, and grow together and to make the world a better place.
0: I know you mean that because you know people say stuff and you're like, you mean it. Like I can feel it. I love that. Do you think that education plays a part in wealth building?
1: Absolutely. I think it's a huge game changer. I think we do a disservice in, you know, six through twelfth, and then universities in this country of not doing financial literacy and education and really giving the basic building blocks. I think we're starting to do a better job than we did the last 20 or 30 years. I like to say, start young, get your first job, putting a little aside, even if it's just a hundred bucks a month and make it fun. If you're raising kids, have them start saving, right? And have them start investing with you and play with it, create your goals and make it fun in the process. I do think education is a huge game changer when it comes to money and building
0: wealth. Couldn't agree more. If you offer some advice to our listeners, what would that be?
1: Yeah. I mean, I like to say, focus on what you're genius at, like what you uniquely add back to society and then find the one thing you want to move the needle on. There's probably one thing that you deeply care about. And go move the needle on that. Because if all of us did that, all 7.8 billion people, we actually just took our one why, the world would look radically different. So start with why and
0: enjoy. I love it. Jen, this has been awesome. Very, very pleasant conversation. Like I've really thoroughly enjoyed this. And I think the listeners are in for a treat. If people want to get more of Jen, what social medias are you active on? Where can people follow you?
1: Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at, at Align Impact. You can go to alignimpact.com. We have lots of stuff there, lots of different articles. And then we're really active on LinkedIn. So Align Impact, as well as Jennifer Kenning. And please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm happy to be a resource. We need everyone. And I really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you. Appreciate what you're doing and look forward to continuing the conversation.
0: Awesome. Thank you for coming on. And we really appreciate the work that you're doing and the impact that you are making, and really trying to change the world. I really love that. So as you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now, and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community. Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please, reach out to an attorney or a CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at Fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast. So we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time.